Hey, I'm Raina. And I'm Nikki. This is our podcast where we're talking about how healing yourself includes tapping into your intuition. With a few laughs and some sage advice. To help you see that all the answers are inside of you if If you you just just shut shut up up and listen. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. It's episode 013 of Just Shut Up and Listen. Me and Nikki have Simon King with us tonight. Simon's been praised by the likes of Doug Stanhope and Robin Williams. He performs in theaters, comedy clubs, and dive bars, and he has numerous appearances on Comedy Network, CBC, CTV, TBS, and Comedy Central. He's um, on tour, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And has decided to come bullshit with us here yeah. in Kelowna. Yeah, we're kind of dying a little right now. We're dying a little bit. When I first saw you in Penticton, this is why I wanted to have you on our show, was because you have this incredible... Uh, style of like you dig in and you make people really uncomfortable and then they're uncomfortable yeah. because they're laughing at it yeah. and then you fucking educate them yeah and it's I've never I had never seen that before yeah. so I was blown away well thank you it's a little bit of like a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down sort of thing so what you do is you you have the point that you want to make and then you have the humor around it and it's kind of like as long as the balance as long as it stays mostly funny but as long as the points there and as long as you don't say anything you don't believe or can't defend then mm. i think everything's on the table but yeah because of that i do i touch on because i i the way i process the world especially the really hard stuff in the world is i got to make it funny that's the only way i can deal with it you know they say if, you, if you're laughing you're not crying so that's the idea behind the kind of material i do and it's not for everybody. I mean, it's it's. It, I'm lucky. It tends to bridge most gaps. But some people they just want really fluffy stuff, and mm-hmm. that's cool. But that's the beauty of stand-up. It's Absolutely. it's like music. You know? Yeah, different tastes styles. for yeah. different folks. Mm-hmm. Different yeah. styles. Yeah. Well, I know what it's like to be on the uh, on the on the on the circuit. Because yeah. when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. So me and my friend had we had a whole thing. So I was wow. in the schoolyard. I know how hard your lifestyle is. Yeah. I've been there, man. I've been there. You're part of a double act, too. Oh, That's yeah. even it's harder. Hard. That's even harder. you got to deal with the other person's crap. You're like, oh, no. Your timing was off. You're 14 hours in a car. Probably not when you're in elementary school, though. I don't think there's yeah. a lot of seven-year-olds driving around. Oh, smoking. Just drinking whiskey. Yeah. Why I'll, are dr- I'll drink when I drive. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's like it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like uh, – it, 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 everyone has their own way of getting like I've been doing this for a long time now like it's coming up on 20 years now that I've been doing this so since I was much younger and the, the person you are when you're 22 compared to the person you are when you're 41 is very different and so I think that growth hopefully is shown in my material and in what I do and I think most comics there's a thing with stand-ups and most stand-ups kind of get good as they get older because you need enough life under you mm. I mean, if you're going to point your finger and everyone and go, ah, this sucks and this is why and everything, you kind of have to look like you've lived through some of it. Definitely. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're not going to take that from like a 25-year-old. No. It's like, yeah. what do you know about that? Yeah, like, you're just starting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got hope in your eyes. <laughs> How dare you? Amazing. People so still have hope in their eyes? <laughs> yeah, I see it outside sometimes. Yeah. People wondering around with like 3% body fat and no mortgage. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I see you. <laughs> So you're you're stationed in Vancouver, but you travel a yeah. lot. You're always on the road. Yeah, well, not always. I mean, so it's one of those things where um, I'm mostly in Canada. I'm in the UK a bit and the States a bit, but mostly mm-hmm. in Canada. And it really depends on you go through these periods of kind of like touring dormancy where because Canada is not population wise, there's not a lot of uh, access to huge population space you can hit on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So I can't be on the road and tour every weekend um, and play big markets. So what I do is when I'm writing an hour or writing something to produce, I'll do that in the city. So I know I never do my act in Vancouver. 
one of the reasons I like Vancouver is because I can get on stage every night of the week. And because I've been around a long time, they just kind of be like, eh, just let him do what he... <laughs> <laughs> get me wandering. I'm like, yeah, can I get a few minutes? And you're like, yeah, he's clearly jonesing for stage. I just put him on, <laughs> shake it in the corner. <laughs> yeah, so, so I can do that. And... Um, and it allows me to write material, and then I bring it out on the road, and I test it. So what I do is I'll, I'll build the hour that I tour, and then I'll tour the hour once, go back, tweak it, mm. tour it again, and then record it. Usually, uh, I'm in a bit of a glut right now because I have two hours ready to go because there was a, a screw-up with one of my special tapings. The venue we were going to do, really cool old punk bar, started out as a vaudeville house in 1913, turned into a punk bar. The Cobalt in Vancouver. Mm, nice. Gone. Like, literally oh. gone about, about two weeks after we agreed to tape there. They oh. just shut wow. down. <laughs> 106 years, and I closed it. <laughs> so, good job. <laughs> good, good work. Job. Good work. Um, so, I have this hour that I'm sitting on right now. So, right now, what I'm doing is because I, I finally found a way to tape it and everything. I came back. That's why I'm back so soon is because I came back out on the road to do Because I haven't been in Kelowna in ages and so i came back out to run the modified version of that hour and tweaked up mm -hmm. and then i'll go and because i'm i'm r running about an hour 20 right now and i'll cut that down to an hour for taping for tv and then you'll get that you get about 58 minutes out of it mm -hmm. by the time you're done with everything else um and you just can't do that in the cities mm -hmm. you just can't even comedy clubs you do in 45 minutes so that's one of the reasons i'm you i'll go on a, a tear when i'm writing a new hour or when i'm tuning that hour i'll be you sort of do all the major centers and hit them. And then I might even do a UK tour, even though their headline sets are only 20 minutes, so it doesn't help as much. Mm -hmm. And then when that's done, I'll be off the road for a while, do projects that are different from that, from film, TV stuff, whatever it is. And then as the material gets ready to go, I'll just tour it again. So, mm. so what you're doing is like a real job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, right? It's <laughs> like I'm hearing work. Yeah, like yeah. this is like this is work. It's, it, it's so funny because it's one of those things where like because it's talking and because the better at it you are, the more like it looks like you're not trying. People right. don't see what's required to do it. Mm -hmm. I was having this conversation last night and I was like, like you may be the most naturally talented guitar player in the world, but if you don't learn the chords, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. You can't and no one's gonna walk into a music store, pick up a guitar and just expect to be mm -hmm. Hendrix or whatever. They're not going to do that. Did but you say Hendrix because I'm wearing a Hendrix shirt? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Very convenient. Also, yeah, also, I'm like, it's like the Kaiser Soze thing. Like, I'm just picking up everything. I leave and you're like, he wasn't even a comic at all. Um, so, um, but yeah, so then you, with that, people respect the work that's required. Mm -hmm. But because stand-up is, A, it's an art form that you have to practice in front of people, which makes it much more vulnerable and weird. Mm. Um, but people see the process, so they see everyone on every level of it. It's not like you can hide yourself. Um, like, if you're a painter and you're painting stuff, uh, you can paint whatever you want. No one's coming by and saying, I don't like red, I don't like blue. So, because you're not showing it until it's done. But mm. with what we do, it's like constantly. So even people who've been doing it 25 years, you'll see them fail because they're trying something. Yeah. And okay. so it looks like it's very much like, oh, I can just go up and my friends say I'm funny. Well. Mm. Yeah, but mm. that's that's totally mm. different, mm -hmm. you know. Especially when it becomes a, a, a like I haven't had a quote unquote real job since two thousand and two. So this is all I do, mm -hmm. and because of that, in this country too, it requires a phenomenal amount of like constantly. It's very Sisyphus. You just got to keep pushing that rock up the hill because mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. if you stop, it will squish you. Of course. And <laughs> and it's getting a little easier now with the internet and stuff and social media. It gets a little easier because your fan bases can you can put out content. But it used to be you would just have to hit the road. If you want to maintain a fan base in an area, you had to go and be there so that they could see you and then release albums and specials enough for them to catch up with you and then come back. Um, which was better and worse because people weren't taping you when you were practicing stuff. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, there was no way to reach those people. Even mailing lists, as they are now, relatively new in our career, like you know, last sort of 20 years. Mm -hmm. So 
that that does it's it's a phenomenal you have to be able to do a lot of things to some degree mm-hmm. to be able to edit do graphic design you have to be able to do marketing <coughs> some just to be right. able to keep mm-hmm. going absolutely know? yeah yeah so i relate yeah mm-hmm. exactly yes mm-hmm. so do you, do you feel like you spend more time working on it than in it like doing actually like crafting the shows and then actually performing them compared well, to like doing all the behind the scenes stuff that no one sees yeah i i think it percentage wise in terms of like how much time you spend doing it y- you probably at my stage of my career you're probably doing more of um trying to put things in order get th- like a lot of the behind the scenes stuff booking things and organizing mm-hmm. things and and because you know, like any other art form, you kind of if if y- you kind of want to control a lot of it. So like when you do a special, you want to be in the edit room. You don't you don't hand a lot of stuff off. At least mm. I don't. That's not. I'm weird that way because, like, of the old school pro comics in the country, particularly in Vancouver, um, I'm pretty much the only one that's out most every night working. I'll I'll play rooms of five people. I'll play rooms of five hundred. It doesn't matter because that's my process. Mm-hmm. A lot of comics will write their material and sit on it, and so they spend a lot less time. So. I probably spend more time working material than most comedians, mm-hmm. but I probably spend more of my time percentage-wise doing the other stuff, mm-hmm. right. which sucks because, you know, if, if you just took the amount of time I spend in cars and planes and hotels and stuff, it's it's probably probably 60% of my time is doing that. Mm-hmm. Just and get then in there. A, yeah, mm-hmm. and then there's another 25% doing what I mean, you really, you know, you, this is really the finished product of a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and it would be nice if it was another way around. It would be nice if there was a way to just exist in a creative space and make a thing and then hand it off. And as you get bigger, uh, as you get higher up, you know, you can do that. I have some friends who are very, very successful and they can just say, okay, I'm ready to make a thing and then mm-hmm. they do it. But mostly in Canada, that doesn't really exist for us mm. um, because it's like there's no – the hierarchy here is really weird for comedy. You're either completely unknown or – like you have your own TV show. Mm-hmm. It's there's really mm-hmm. no in between here where there is in every other major comedy scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot yeah. of sitting in coffee shops and booking gigs and <laughs> staring at windows. <laughs> Offending people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully. <laughs> you just want to be a monster to the right people. That's all. Yes, I just want to upset the bad people. That's yeah, all it right. is. Like, upset yeah. the bad people and inspire yeah. the good people. That's fantastic. Yeah, there was some uh, there was a guy at the show last night who was uh he didn't even come in to see the show. He was cl- he was apparently a fan of lady who was like a super alt-right guy and cuz I was I heard him talking about how much he he didn't like me. Mm. And I was talking to one of the comics and go, "Do you know this guy?" He goes, "Yeah, he's like a super alt-right guy." And I'm like, "Oh, that makes me happy." Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I don't like want me. you to like me. Yeah, yeah, cuz I, I wouldn't want him to come up and he's like, "Yeah, man." I'm like, "No, <laughs> just handing me leaflets, you know." <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, we have a wellness podcast. So yeah. before you showed up, we were like, we were like, kind of, what's our, what's our like purpose with mm-hmm. Simon? And it's like, well, laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, clearly, yeah. That's, obviously, yeah, that's key. Yeah. yeah, and our whole like kind of mission behind this is just reminding people that like with all the stuff coming at you half of it's bullshit and the yeah. rest of it's like what's actually inside of you yeah mm-hmm. and someone like you comes along and starts combing back mm-hmm. for people to, to really dig into themselves yeah. and feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and it kind of wrestles things up so it's a it's a great medicine of getting real right so yeah they don't want to i think a lot of times with i mean art is a weapon of change in my opinion and mm-hmm. it can be and and if you consider stand-up to be an art form which i do then you have to I mean, it's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to go out there and be like, "This is it." Uh, some people do jokes about tacos, and that's great because mm-hmm. that's their way of doing it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not. They're not. There's. It's not quantifiable which is better than the other. It's just that if you have a thing in that you that you need to do. For this is a, 
Like comedians are inherently very selfish people in the way that they do their art form. Even though it's weird because our entire job is to make other people laugh. So you think, well, they're bringing joy to people, which is true, which is part of it. But it's this really weird, it has to be a symbiotic relationship. If we're not getting anything from it, then mm-hmm. there's no, because it's, it's so incredibly demanding and it takes so much and it is a difficult thing to like kind of get on a stage in, you know, drive nine hours to a town you've never been to and tell people the things you believe and try and get them on a page with you in an hour. I mean, senses of humor are very personal things. And Mm -hmm. so I think that all you can do is believe what you're saying and say it and and, and know why you're saying it, not so much what you're saying. Because we are very much focused nowadays on what's being said and not Mm -hmm. why things are being Mm -hmm. said. And that's a big difference. So people will will attack certain words or certain, um, without the context or the understanding of why that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so you have to kind of, like, a good example is I have a joke I do a, a piece about race off the top and uh, right now in this hour. And one of the jokes is, I'm a white straight male. I don't know what white privilege is. I'm pretty sure it's the name of one of my dad's boats. Mm-hmm. Now, that joke is clearly making fun of people who don't understand. But right. there was at least one person who flat out thought that I was bragging I had boats. Like, oh. how do you even like, <laughs> yeah. do I look like I own a boat or have been on a boat? Like, <laughs> but, to that, but people are looking for that. So yeah. some people, but this idea that comedians, and it's not, most good comedians don't say this. The idea that we can't somehow say something, that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. I very rarely, if ever, and I say horrendous shit, mm-hmm. and I very rarely, if ever, come up against anyone who has a problem with what I say or because they know why I'm saying it and mm-hmm. how I'm saying it and the reason behind it. And I think people, we've lost touch somehow with the kind of animal instinct of being able to read other people. Yes. Because social media and everything, it becomes this really weird distorted reflection Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so we're looking for kind of uh we're always it's almost like we've become so paranoid that we're looking for something and then also there's this weird selfishness that's happened in the last sort of 15 20 years particularly and i think that shows it's it rears its ugly head sometimes but as as a comic you know when people say i used to be able to say whatever i want well you can still say anything you want i mean you you really can like it's not it's not i've never not been able to use a word or talk about a situation or anything like that because I'm doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And if someone challenges on me, I, I can say, this is why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So I believe it. And I, mm-hmm. so that, as long as you're doing that, it's the people who are edgelords who are trying to get up there and be like, I'm going to say the risky thing. It's like, well, that's never going to work. And no, it's right. never worked. You yeah. Because yeah, you're just saying it for, without purpose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's junk food. There's no mm-hmm. need to do it. And there's mm-hmm. nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't blame people for not wanting that. And, and if people do, that's great. That's your audience. Go find mm-hmm. them. But yeah. for me, it's just never, it's never been something that's yeah. I do. Do you find that that's one of the reasons why you like to to get in front of people, whether it's five or 500, is you kind of like those kind of empathic moments where you're connecting and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, those are the responses, or holy, that was a really fucking diverse response from yeah. a group of people, so you can kind of get that read more? Yeah, I think reading a room is probably a comedian's most important skill. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a big skill for humans in general, mm-hmm. um, but comedians have a very raw connection with it because we're doing something. Because making people laugh puts you in a position of power over a group of people. It seems weird, but it does. That's why most comedians uh, are self-deprecating or approach it, because what it is is most comedians come from a place where they're somehow damaged, whatever it is, and they come up on stage and they are they put themselves at a lower position because then they're punching up at the audience. Mm-hmm. Even though it's very, in and of itself, it's a very weird thing to go to a place and then be the focus of attention and be the person that's kind of making people laugh, because laughter is a fear response, too. Mm-hmm. It's an uncontrolled thing. Yeah. And that's why things are usually funnier the first time you see them because they're more, you know, more of a thing like that. So, like, I had a friend who's a 
who was a comedian. He was a doctor as well. Mm. And he would go on stage. And he was a like, good-looking guy, doctor. can be very funny, but he never was getting the laughs. And, and I said, you know what it is? It's, it's you going on stage, you're telling people you're a doctor, and you're also doing it, and it's just like you're doing this just because. And I'm like, mm. you're putting yourself right. in a position where people are automatically like, oh, this guy. Like, you know? So right. I said, just say you're a bad doctor. And he did, and it changed everything. He just mm. goes, oh, go, I'm wow. a bad doctor. And boom, everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, you suck. It's <laughs> <laughs> like literally. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's that little tiny reading thing. You yeah. know? You just yeah. have to figure out where they want to come. Because people don't mean to put up that front against you. But it is just something that happens with humans mm -hmm, because definitely. there's a lot of, I mean, the reason we're dominant as a species is because we're kind of selfish and that's mm -hmm. how that works. And it mm -hmm. has to be, well, if someone else has something, I don't have it. So you can look at the psychology of that and kind of figure out as a way to use that to your advantage, which is what a lot of comedy is. Mm -hmm. so, for Probably me. learned a lot about psychology in your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I meet a lot of psychos. <laughs> it is weird what like you do that appeals to certain people like most of my fan base are great and then there's some people who are like good people but completely weird and you're just like they'll message you at four o'clock in the morning they're like check out this video this guy get his head cut off i'm like no 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 don't send me that stuff and it's like yeah but it's the tr you know what and i'm like no I, I get it i get it because they think because you're you know to use the the phrase fight the power or whatever it is mm -hmm. because you're doing that as far as they're concerned, mm. it's like everything, like, oh, yeah, and then chemtrails, and I'm like, all right, okay, let's just back it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. But they just don't, because to them, there's no differentiation between that. Mm -hmm. They're just like, we live in the Matrix. It's like, yeah, okay, well, how about we just deal with the banks right now? Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the way that you market yourself and, and, and the words that you use to describe yourself as an artist, people are going to still interpret that based on their, mm -hmm. their thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interpreted differently for every person. Yeah, I think that... The, the thing about it, like I said, it's symbiotic. So you, you, you can you can only control what you say, not what they hear. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a fact in oh, life. Oh, such a Yeah, <laughs> so it's just like you just say something, <laughs> and then people, there are times when you'll be talking about a certain subject, and, you'll, and they'll be on board with you until you hit a certain word or a certain scenario. And it's almost always people that um, perhaps have, I don't want to say, but perhaps are a little bit, in a situation where they may feel that way and then they feel bad about feeling that mm. way, which is kind of what it is. So like I used to do in an hour a little while ago, I used to do this a lot of uh, pro-gay rights stuff um, just because I just poked at the absurdity of who gives a shit, like really mm. like, and but I would take this to like Northern Alberta and all mm -hmm. these places where traditionally quite redneck, mm -hmm. right-wing places, which in and of itself is ridiculous to classify people as that because they're not, individuals mostly aren't like that. Mm -hmm. Those groups, as labels they are, because mm -hmm. that's easy to control as if we're classified. Mm -hmm. So you would do this stuff and you would see people fighting with laughing about it or wanting to, and they would come up to you and they would talk to you about it and they weren't mad, but they didn't know how to communicate with you or mm -hmm. they would shut down a lot because mm -hmm. sometimes you'll say things that are ironic or you're playing a character saying something in a certain way, like, you know, and they relate to that because they know that person. And so to them, it's just like, so they'll freeze up and you just got to push through that and be like, look, you know this is absurd and mm -hmm. I'm showing you how this is absurd. Mm -hmm. And they almost always come around. It's very rarely, if, like I said, if people want to have a problem, they will. You can't stop that. Can't stop it. You can't stop it. But, yeah. <clears throat> you know, yeah. Making people, like trying to make everyone happy all the time is, is just poison. Mm -hmm. It'll never work. Mm -hmm. Because if everyone is happy all the time, you're not saying anything, no. I don't think. No. Like I said, True. you don't want you don't want the wrong people to be your fans because you don't want those people to be like, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. And like, well, how are you getting that out of what I'm doing? Right. That means I'm not, you know, I'm not sharpening my teeth on the right bone. So I got to mm -hmm. figure out how to do that. Yeah. So 
that's that's part of it too. It's it's mm-hmm. a learning process as you go because you'd be mm-hmm. like that gets way too many laughs for what that is off the dudes with the sideways hats. So maybe I should figure out. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Really cool that you're like obsessed with your craft. That that inspires me. Mm-hmm. And so, did you always know that you were going to do this? Was this? Um, like, how did you how did you get here? Well, I was uh, so uh, I did I, I was first on stage when I was seven years old. So I was an actor when I was a kid, and uh, my mom, and they, my parents um, met in a band in the '60s and they toured. So I come from a show business family. My dad was a a piano prodigy, and my mom was like a a singer and actor and stuff. She was on stage from when she was three. So I come mm. from entertainment, even though they tried to discourage it because you know. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, so I was on stage uh, uh, from from very young age and I kind of just got very comfortable in that position and then um I mean part of it is the sense of humor you have I had a uh you know my childhood was not uh, socially easy with kids at that time because there was a lot of bullying and stuff it's it's people are addressing it now which is good but if you're a little bit different like I was born in England so I had this English accent that I didn't mm-hmm. lose until I was like you know in my very early teens I couldn't get rid of it and I was a chubby kid and it was like a lot of kind of like my developing an ability to survive plus I was an artistic and sensitive kid Mm -hmm. which at the time was not Mm -hmm. it was just not what you know it was like if you don't play sports if you don't do that and Mm -hmm. and that's changing now but at the time it was a lot of that and so to avoid alienation and to control the situation I was in I used the one thing I had which was my brain and I was able to make the jokes before they could make them Mm. So there was no one who could make fun of me more than me and faster than me. And because you, you're subconsciously going to this weird boot camp for comedy, you don't realize you're doing it. Like I said earlier, a lot of comics are damaged, and that's where it comes from, is they're usually mm-hmm. doing a thing where they're, like, uh, defending themselves by attacking. You know, the mm-hmm. best defense is a good offense, so they would just constantly do that. And then with me, when I was 16 years old, I dropped out of high school because I just hated school. It was terrible for me, and I didn't, I just, I was just like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I doing this? I'm hitting my head against the wall. I wasn't learning anything. I wasn't enjoying myself. So when I dropped out of school, I went back to acting as much as I knew, and then uh, I did some sketch and did some improv and stuff. And when I was around 22, I did my first stand-up set. And from then on, it was like, this is what I do. This Mm -hmm. is it. And then Mm -hmm. that's been it. yeah, I said a couple of years later after that, I left my job, and then I haven't, I haven't done anything since. Life well, groomed you to this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I'm a true. GMO comedian. I was genetically engineered <laughs> to be a comic. They just That's took out all the, <laughs> all, the, all the hope that I could do anything else with my life. And I've literally painted myself into a corner. Like, there's no way. I'm 41 with no high school education. Mm. There is no way I'm getting any job doing anything with <laughs> right. this. So thank You're, God yeah. I can still be a smart ass. Officially <laughs> unhirable. Oh, oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> There's, there's not like you, you're going to learn to climb the walls if you pan into a corner. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I got to keep going. So, mm. What's your favorite joke? Oh, uh, I don't know. That's a really hard one to say. <laughs> That's a hard thing to say. I don't know. It, it really, it's, I think jokes to me aren't as funny as situations and ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Like, so the funny thing is about comedians is, when people find out you're a comic, they go, tell me a joke. And I'm like, I don't think I know any jokes. Because right. that's not really how it is. It's yeah. like, yes. it's sort of like the whole, I, I see comics as sometimes being like a vulture sitting on a fence post and watching everything that's happening and then just picking their moments to go in and do the thing. <laughs> so true. That's kind of what we are. Yeah. So we're outside observers. of. I mean, I think that's why that, you know, you go back to it the psychology of it, that being an outsider when you're young probably translates to why we're outsiders mm. now. Yeah. And, and I think if you indulge in the privilege of the fact that you have that time, like the fact that I talk about the big things, it maybe it's not that the audience doesn't understand them or can understand them. I always treat the audience as smarter, smarter than me for mm-hmm. sure. 
But I have one thing a lot of them don't have. I have time. Mm. I have perspective. And I've trained myself to look at things slightly differently, or that comes naturally, whatever it is. So I can take the big idea and translate it into the smaller thing, just an adapter for a situation. So you may talk about something heavy to an audience and be like, why aren't they getting it? Well, they're, they're thinking about snow tires and dropping their kids off at school and all the other shit they mm-hmm. got to do. They got, you know, they came out, this is their night out. They may come to a club once a year. So that's fine. If you want to talk about that thing, figure out a way to do it so that it's enjoyable for them. Yes. Right. Because there's also nothing worse than just a comic who just preaches or goes for clapter. I don't like that either. Yeah. I mean, some of the best social and political comics are like George Carlin's a good example it got to a point where it was mostly just kind of here's what I'm saying, which was in a bit of an indulgence, but after a career like that, you can allow mm-hmm, it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that the delivery system is the thing that always has to be firing on all cylinders. So in terms of jokes, I don't really know how that works. Like, <laughs> this is some one-liners, but most of them are just kind of like, um, like just, you know, you might have a casual observation or something that doesn't fit everywhere else, but particularly for the kind of comic I am, I just run my yap. And so, like, I just kind of... <laughs> well, it's working for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just like, if you could burn calories from talking, I'd be thin as a rail. <laughs> see, that was a joke. That was a joke. See? There you go, see, but I didn't know that joke until I said it. And then it happened and it fell out of my head. <laughs> yeah. Who were you most inspired by then? Um, well, I think it's that's, that's a thing that, uh, it, you know, you look at the different influences. So I think if you look at... Uh, there's lots of different influences like um comedically uh, i always respected jonathan winters and robin williams ability to improvise and mm-hmm. their speed um doug stanhope's social commentary george carlin's commentary maria bamford's complete madness mm-hmm. i love that uh philosophically you have to look at people that speak to what you are so i think if you look at it from just the comedic point of view i think you miss out something important so if you you know in my spare time or when i'm like I listen to a lot of audiobooks because I drive a lot. You know, can't really read while you're driving. They, they frown on it. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> a lot of the books I listen to will be like, like Chomsky or like uh, Matt Taibbi, whatever it is, to get the background of information mm-hmm. that I want. So their, their philosophy bleeds into my comedy. And then from that side, like the, the comedic side, I think I draw inspiration from those people that I respect and admire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes down to every, like you'll see someone at an open mic and you'll be like, that is phenomenal. And you'll, that's the beauty about comedy is there's a really weird learning curve to it. And anything can be inspiring and anything can can be influential on you. Mm-hmm. And you don't know until it's happening. And that's the beauty of it. You know, you don't want to be derivative, of course, but you get to that point where I think most comics uh, that have anything to say are an amalgamation of thousands of little tiny pieces. Like every human mm-hmm. is just amplified. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Mm. More expressive about it. Yeah. Than yeah. We just imagine it. louder than other yeah. people. That's, all <laughs> <it is. laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So, it's like uh, this guy's this guy's peeking in the it's window. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. He's like yeah. really enjoying this. He's like having a look in. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's I like what's see up? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, what are they selling there? Microphone? <laughs> are they selling microphones? <laughs> he's just very confused as to what's going on in here. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. What um, was your most painful stage experience? Like, oh, did you ever have one. like a moment where you're like, I am like shitting the bed hard here right now? <laughs> oh yeah, and, that's like, comedy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, my most painful stage experience was when I was doing well once because uh, it was a realization. So um, I spent the first sort of nine or ten years of my career being much more. I mean, it still had a point, but it was much more absurd. I was younger. So there was much more characters and impressions and 
And that kills with audiences. They mm-hmm. love that stuff mm-hmm. because it's candy. And, yeah, and it was, yeah. I just didn't have as much to say. Or I did, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And so I had this um, time in the States where I got a little bit of success early on. And it goes away as it always does. And at the end of it, I was kind of like so disillusioned with what I was doing. And I hated the kind of comic I was and everything. But I was finishing out these. I was going to quit back in 2010. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was out. I was done. Mm-hmm. I just was finishing up my dates. Because like I said, literally no other way to make a living. So I had to figure out. I was like, got to buy myself some time and figure it out. And so uh, I was doing this show at this little tiny venue in Vancouver. It's about 40 people. And it was one of those nights. It was about this time, 2010, I think. So about nine years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. And um, it was one of those nights where Vancouver audiences can be very strangely fickle, which makes for great comics because you're dealing with a lot of variables all the time. But it, sometimes it just, and I, I'm loath to blame the audience, but sometimes it just they just don't work. They mm-hmm. just It just doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those shows where, a friend of mine was running it. I was closing it up. Um, so many people on the show were such great comics, and they were all just eating it. It was just going terribly. And mm-hmm. I was in the back, you know, just being like, I kind of want to do this. And I went up, and I started doing my act at the time, which started going well. started going real well. And uh, the more words coming out of my mouth and the more they laughed, it was like just getting slapped in the face. And I was like, I fucking hate this. I hate this. Mm-hmm. And then I just stopped in the middle of my set. I was like, I don't, uh, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. This is not what I'm interested in. I'm really sorry. But, and then I just had that really weird moment of like, if you don't start saying something soon, this is your last show. Mm. So it was this really kind of weird record scratch moment in my life, which was at that time very negative because I just, I was completely lost. But then I just started running my app as I do. Mm. And it, it, it was good and bad. And it was like, People were upset with me and also happy with me. It was a very strange mm-hmm. experience. Um, it was completely out of my control, which I didn't like. And I've never liked that. Because the only time I feel control in my life is when I'm on stage. That's the only mm-hmm. time it, it all shuts down and I can do what I do and it makes sense and everything's locked in. And I didn't have that. So that was the la- for me, that was the last thing I had that I could cling to, this sort of life preserver of who I was, was that I could make people laugh and then it, and then it didn't have it anymore. Mm. And I thought that that was the end of the world. And it turned out to be a complete restart. Like, I just took all of it apart and started again. Now, it took me many years to figure out how to channel that. And now I'm a much more balanced version of those two people. Mm-hmm. But I literally had to unlearn everything I knew. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't do a voice or a character or an impression or anything for years. Nothing. And it's hard because you're out there doing these shows where you're really fighting and you know it's there and it's really hard to not just reach down and be like, okay, I'll just do the, you know. Because I know it works. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. it works and I know I can save myself. So it, it wasn't even just one show. It was probably four years of just every time I was on stage just being like, what the fuck, I don't know what's like, and just having no idea if it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it was good and bad. Like it was bad because it was just fear, just mm-hmm. fear and, but it was good because it w- I just kept doing it. Like mm. I didn't, I never quit. I was just mm. like, okay, I'll just, and I never ever once reached into that bag, which made me happy. And then, mm. so the funny thing is, when I moved to England, when I came back, there were a bunch of new comics that had never seen me before, but a, a bunch of the old ones still kicking around who knew that I did that. And one day I just, they didn't know, these comics didn't know I did that at all. And one day I just did it at the club and everyone's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> and I go, oh yeah, I can do that too. And they're like, ah! <laughs> But it's a really, but then that's also learning that part of yourself again. So being, it's sure. okay to be that person again. Sure. So it's, which is a, it's a, like I said, it's a constant growth thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you're not a little bit afraid 
most of the time, then you're probably not pushing yourself hard mm-hmm. enough. You're just not doing it right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You should be a little bit freaked out. Yeah. Like absolutely. I think. Well, that's an entrepreneur thing because probably most comedians, when they get to that point that you spoke of where you're very lost and mm-hmm. very uncomfortable, that would just be your quit point. You're like, well, I guess this is not for me. Yeah. It but almost you were was. like, well, fuck it. I'm yeah. going to keep going. It mm-hmm. almost was. And I think, I think it was, I think it really was. That's probably for me the most definitive. Other than maybe the first time I did stand up, that's probably the most important thing that's ever happened in my career because mm-hmm. I still think of that moment like it was yesterday. And that made me do a bunch of crazy shit I never would have done. I was doing a gig the end of 2010, so about you know six months later, and we were doing this place in Medicine Hat, and it was just, we were in the middle of doing a corporate run where we were doing like six weeks in this hotel in Saskatoon where we would do four shows a weekend, and it was mm. all corporate clean, all like, it was just miserable, just miserable. So my buddy and I, we took this um, bar gig on a Thursday. We had to drive from uh, Saskatoon to Medicine Hat, which was like seven hours. And when we got there, the place was just a clusterfuck. It was just insane. There was like, the, the, so the previous owner of the bar was having his Christmas party there, in the showroom where the show was. So half the audience were drunk and not there for the show, and half of them were. Hmm. And so uh, the other headliner who's with me, he just went up first, and there was this table of people at the front. They were just the most, they just heckled him and were brutal. And, and those shows you're doing about 45 minutes a piece. I've never seen him do this before or since. He walked off at 30 minutes. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. Oh. Like, it was just brutal. The problem was the audience wanted to be there. It was just a group of people wrecking it for everyone, everyone else. Now. There was an entire bar next door. So there was a big, like, there was two bars connected. The other side was empty. So these people could have gone over there mm-hmm. and had their party. Would have been, wouldn't have been a problem. But instead, they just wanted to wreck it for everyone else. So I was just mm. getting madder and madder. So I went up on stage and used every tool that I had in my toolbox, other than the, the easy-peasy impression stuff. But I used everything I had. So I would tell some jokes, get the audience on my side, and then go to war with these people, reason with them, everything. At one point, I said to them, I was like, look, there's an empty bar next door. Why don't you guys just go over there? We, you know, we, we'll finish the show. And they're like, no, no, it's got to be fine. I was like, I just knew it was going to be hell. So I was getting to the point where I've never walked off stage before the end of my set before. And I was just like, okay, well, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. there's really literally no point in being mm-hmm. here. It sucks for these people. They paid mm-hmm. their ticket price. But I was about half an hour. And um, I was, I'll never forget. The stage was like, the, it was a really big stage. And there was this raised section to the right where everyone was. And then over the door by the bar, I looked at because the, the server came up and she handed me a shot, which sometimes people will send you shots as a sign of a, like a screw you, like a prairie fire or something. Oh. And I turned around, I was like, what? And then I looked over and two comic friends of ours who we didn't know were in town were standing at the door, hammered with the guy that opened, hammered, laughing. Because there's nothing funnier than watching your friend struggle. That is yeah, hilarious. Absolutely. And so I was like, I was like, you know what? I put the mic back in the stand and going, I'm going next door to finish the show. Anyone who wants to come, you're welcome. And I walked next door and everybody but those four people came over. <laughs> oh my God, amazing. And I did another, I had to do an hour though because yeah. like I've like, relocated, but I never would have had the confidence to do mm-hmm. that before that because yeah. I never would have thought, because I was really literally prepared to be like, even if they don't follow me, I'll just leave. I don't Absolutely. care anymore. Right. I don't care anymore. Yeah, that's such a beautiful place in life yeah. when mm-hmm. you get to that point where yeah. you just don't give yeah. a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good place. And the funny thing is people who keep talking about how they don't give a fuck tend to be the ones that give a fuck mm-hmm, but right. when you just do something like that or anything you're just like mm-hmm. nah, nah, I don't care yeah. like the first time I ever walked people because of my material I was really upset because all I wanted to do was make everybody happy all the time because mm-hmm. I thought that what I needed and I was doing this comedy club it was like 2009 or 2010 and uh, there was this old school pro comic in the back that I, that I knew and loved and he did like 20 years on the road and I, I remember I could see these two people get up and leave and I think it was just as I started doing stuff like pro gay rights stuff and everything, which is polarizing. Um, 
and they got up and walked. And I remember as the show was going on, going, I can't believe I walked in there. And I came backstage, and the show went well, but then I just remember those people getting up and walking. And I came backstage, and I said to the headliner, I was like, I was like, oh, man, I walked people. He goes, yeah, great. He goes, you said something important enough that people left. Yeah, he goes, so you just got a new superpower. That's right. like, he's like, why are you upset about that? Because at the time, I was like, I can't believe some people might not like me. And now mm. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if you don't like me. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> so fucking yeah. liberating. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I enjoy the YouTube comments. Now I'm like, yeah, I'm a tub of shit. Good for you. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because when you poke people, you're yeah. you're doing something. Yeah. If yeah. you're not doing, if yeah. you're not poking them, if you're yeah. not stirring anything, then that's not. Yeah. You're not doing anything. I mean, it's like this. It's like vanilla ice cream is probably the most popular ice cream in the world, but very few people are passionate about it. Yeah. But like tiger tail ice cream is not the most popular, but the people that love it love Fucking it. Love so it. be yeah. tiger tail. Yeah. So that's what I. That's my. Be goal. the tiger tail ice cream. Be the tiger tail. <laughs> yeah. the tiger tail. There may yeah. only be you six people who want to buy it, but they'll come from anywhere to get it. So that's that's it's that's true. the way to be. I think. And they will yeah. savor that shit. Yeah, yeah they will. Yeah. Yeah, they will. <laughs> and if you're the only one who's providing that thing, like a comic I mentioned earlier, Doug Stanhope, he he is so. He's a very extreme comic. He mm -hmm. says things, but it's very intelligent and very, but you have to be capable of being at that level. Um, but he is the only one who does that. So mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, it, it's not mainstream, but if you, if you want that kind of thing, that's where you go. Absolutely. And so he finds his people. And mm -hmm. I think that's what it's become. That, and going back to what you said earlier about, I think you can do that a little bit more now. You can be a little more passive about it. Your people will come to you more now mm -hmm. than before. It used to be you had to, you know, get off a plane, get in a rental car, go to a town, hope that people remembered mm -hmm. you. And I'm terrible at self-promotion, so mm -hmm. it never really works. And now you just put stuff out and then people come to find you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've got fans in places I never would have thought, like Chattanooga, Tennessee, never been there. Like all <laughs> these sort of places that I've never been, like yeah. the Amazing. Ukraine, all this, yeah. because they find you. Yeah. yeah. And then now when you go there, then there may only be two or three of them, but that's the, the thing that's about podcasting too. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing about podcasting too. You're reaching out, you have a potential audience of billions of people. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously you're probably not going to reach billions of people because otherwise you'd have the most insane podcast ever, mm -hmm. but you have <laughs> a potential that you never had before because mm -hmm. to meet, to talk to a billion people, uh, it, it was an impossibility in a lifetime, but now mm -hmm. you can do it every week, yeah. which is something you couldn't even imagine 25 years mm -hmm. ago, which Agreed. is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. I'm enjoying the freedom of it. Mm. Just sitting there and flapping my app and yeah. then yep. people I'm like, wow, there's people actually paying attention. People are actually yeah. listening. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. What I'm saying actually has value to yeah. someone. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. <laughs> and then you start thinking about you're like, I should say something important. <laughs> Why am I talking about how I should say something important? <laughs> Exactly. It's reading my mind right now. <laughs> it has that other balance too with me. Sometimes it's like sometimes I'll just be goofy because that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then uh, sometimes I'll get messages from the other side where people will be like, "Yeah, man, I just I like it when you talk about it." I'm go, "Yeah, I'm a. It's a full round of thing. I'm a human, just like mm -hmm. anybody else. And I don't. Yeah, I'm not gonna jump through the hoops you want me to. I'm gonna say the thing I say the way mm -hmm. I say it because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what you do, uh, somebody will not like it. That's mm -hmm. just the general rule. The yeah. idea that 100% of people will like you all the time is, is batshit insane mm -hmm. because like you can't, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. If you're in the 80%, you're doing great. And so, you know, I, I just aim for upsetting the right people and then trying to get my message to enough of, but there's a lot of white noise now with comedy mm -hmm. too. So, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's just another guy yelling about stuff. Well, it's like, yeah, but you gotta, you know, people have to want to be there too. So. Yeah. And if to I them, it's just my yelling. Yeah. 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 There you go. I yeah. Yelling. Artisan small batch yelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> organic, <laughs> organic yelling. <laughs> so I should start marketing myself. Yes. Artisan small batch screaming. I'm yes. not mainstream. I'm not <laughs> like a farmer's market of comedy. It's very fresh. 
like Raina's kombucha. Please use that. Yeah, there you oh, go. that's so great. <laughs> I interrupted good. you. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Interrupt me. You always interrupt me. I know. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> it's okay. I love it. You were saying something though. I'm sure I was, was but it? it's like everything in my it's mind. It's gone. It bleats. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's in and it's out. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I could like stay here and hang out all the time, but I know you have a gig. You have to get going. I do. Oh, I have you to, do. I have to yeah. get. I have to go do a show. Yeah, yeah. I got to do do a, which is good. It looks like a lot of people are coming, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Some, that's so, so sometimes funny. Like you get to a point where people start coming to things, and and then sometimes you'll do a show and like twelve people will be there, mm. and you're like, it's kind of cool because you're like, oh, this is like okay, I remember. <laughs> like I just I did normally I like I was in Winnipeg in um, January, I think it was, and. Uh, Normally, I have a good fan base in Winnipeg and everything, but it was like that minus 48 cold snap, oh, wow. and I was up against a bunch of other stuff, and it was a venue I'd never played. It was all these variables going into it that I knew were bad, and we mm. got there, and there were like 12 people, mm. and I did an hour and a half. I had so much fun. They were mm. I bought the entire audience a shot, just acting like a big baller. Oh, I'm like, eh, I buy 12 shots. <laughs> <laughs> But it's fu- it's fun because you never punish the people that came. So no. if two people come, you, I've done a show for one person mm-hmm. because oh, wow. I was I was I was headlining this independent night and uh, there was this table full of like twelve rugby players and then one guy by himself, and it was like a Tuesday night and it was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and right before the MC brought me up, he was just going on. He was one of these guys who just goes talks forever and ever, and as he's like, okay, I'm gonna bring every headliner, all the rugby players left, and it was just one dude. And I said from the back of the room, I'm like, we don't have to do this. And the guy, the guy turned around and he go, I drove all the way from Maple Ridge to see you, man. Oh. <laughs> and I go, wheelie. And he goes, yeah. I go, all right. So I got a picture of beer and sat at the table. I go, what do you want? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh it, was like, it was like a table dance for comedy. Just like, I love yeah. it. Why so don't good. you, why don't you, before you run away from us, mm-hmm. um, just tell everyone how they can find you, what's coming up for you in your in your, uh, in your world. Okay, so uh, this is simonking.com mm-hmm. is my website, and that has pretty much links to everything. And uh, and my Twitter is at unfamous, and um, this is Simon King on Instagram, which I'm starting to learn how to use social media. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what's coming up for me is uh, I'm touring. Uh, where am I going to be? I'll be in Fort McMurray, and mm. ah, the tour dates are on the website. Okay, because mm-hmm. I'll be in Hay River. Yeah, Northwest Territories for two shows. Really? Amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was blown away. I was like, I don't think you guys can sell two shows <laughs> yeah, with tickets yeah. in Hay River. No, sure enough. I was like, okay, cool. So Amazing. yeah, we're gonna that's gonna be kind of fun. That's one cool thing about this job too, is you go places you would never normally go. Yeah, right. Like I've been in all these weird little towns and like like I did a town of three hundred once and I met everybody in the town. That's a weird thing. When you <laughs> meet everybody in the and town. And everyone's like, It's that famous guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, Canadian famous. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be renewing my bus pass. <laughs> but thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, oh, thank it was you so much. So great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you.